Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro. And my guest in this episode is Mark Hurtling, who is back for his third time on Explore the Space podcast. Mark spent 37 years in the United States Army, retiring as a lieutenant general. And since his retirement, he has been involved in helping healthcare leaders build out their leadership skills, improve, get better, develop as leaders, and continue to grow as leaders. If you've listened to Explore the Space, you'll have heard Mark on the show on two previous occasions talking about the work that he's done, the things that he's seen, and really provided some amazing insights. And in this episode, he comes at a really pivotal time, and we have an opportunity to discuss and reflect on the COVID-19 pandemic and the way that healthcare providers are being framed as soldiers, the way that this is being looked at as being in a time of war and the normalization of that sort of nomenclature and discussion. And Mark's insights around this are really important and they're really thoughtful it's a, it's a strange topic. It's a strange thing to think about. And yet here we are. And having Mark to provide some insight onto these analogies is really resonant and really valuable. Mark also recently wrote an essay called 10 Tips for a Crisis Lessons from a Soldier that has been published by the Journal of Hospital Medicine. And it's available open source. There are links in the show notes. And I would encourage everyone to definitely take a look at this essay. We spent some time talking about one particular component of this essay, but also how it fits into this larger conversation. And we also were able to reflect a little bit on an incredible Twitter chat that happened with hashtag JHM chat on April 7th. You can pull up that hashtag if you go to Twitter and you can look through the chat. It was a one hour long chat and it was unbelievable. The feedback and the conversation that was happening from physician leaders all around the United States and some from around the world on what is happening with the COVID-19 pandemic with Mark's insights and thoughts throughout was really, really incredible. We're, we're in a strange place. It's important to acknowledge that we are on unfamiliar ground. And from my perspective, it really does feel like we have shifted into what can be easily described as a wartime footing. And Mark and I talk about that in the show. And being in this place, it, we should keep that strategic awareness. We should make sure we're reflecting on where we are because it will help guide our decisions. And that's why having people like Mark available, I think, is so important. This is an incredible conversation. I feel really fortunate that this was able to happen on Explore the Space podcast. I think you're going to really enjoy it as well. I think it's really going to resonate. Before we get to the episode, I do want to encourage all of you, please subscribe to Explore the Space podcast. We will continue to crank out episodes. We do try to keep a high tempo here and there's more great stuff to come. Definitely subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you download your shows. If you have the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review, that really helps the show out. That five-star review is always welcomed and wonderful. If you have the opportunity too, to just spread the show by word of mouth, tell your colleagues and friends at the hospital about it, please do so. Please tell them about Mark's essay as well if they haven't already read it. It's really, really tremendous. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And you can find me on social media, Twitter at ETS Show and Instagram at Explore the Space Show. I'm very active on social media and I love interacting with people who are listening to the show. You can find the links to Mark's previous appearances on Explore the Space in the show notes to this episode as well. Like I said, this is an episode that fits really nicely into this emerging 
role, this emerging strategic view of the profession of medicine and healthcare in the United States as we begin to grapple with the COVID-19 pandemic. This is going to be longitudinal work. We're going to be doing this for a long time. These sorts of conversations are going to help us better understand where we are and how to move forward. So without further ado, Mark Hurtling. Mark, welcome back to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Good to be back with you again, Mark. Thanks for having me. Obviously, we're in a very different time and place than the last time you and I had the opportunity to speak. And it's important that you come on, and I'm grateful to you for making the time. You've had a, so many different iterations to your career, and the the place that I feel like there's real value and real interest and opportunity for learning and to to do the work that we need to do to keep getting better is just to reflect a little bit on context. You spent your entire career as a soldier. You've been to war. You've served in the front lines. You've led six-figure numbers of men and women in uniform. So you have done that work. And then you've joined us in healthcare to help us develop our leadership characteristics and qualities. And so once again, you're in the fray with us as we deal with COVID-19. Has there been a transition for you? Have you felt like the mindset that you're bringing to this is the same? Is it totally different? Are there some levers that you're finding are similar? Well, that, that's that is a great question, Mark, and and I'll explain it by saying, you know, it was interesting as as you know, as you've covered in past shows that we've done together. I was pulled into this whole physician healthcare leadership thing pretty serendipitously. You know, I was doing something else in healthcare when the chief medical officer asked if I could put together the leadership development program, which you're so familiar with. And and that's what we do in the military. We train people to be leaders. But in the background, there's this this element that we're training them for a purpose. So when they get called to defend the Constitution, to defend our nation, that they are prepared and they get through it in a crisis situation uh, using the teams that they develop. Well, truthfully, when, when I started the leadership program for our, our healthcare leaders, it was more of a uh, let's train them to be better leaders so their teams are more effective and more efficient and all of that. But what has happened now with this crisis is the healthcare providers are going into battle. I mean, there really is a, a correlation. It isn't business as usual. It's not, quote unquote, peacetime. It is serving when you know people are trying to kill or things are trying to kill people in this case. And the, the physicians are not only required to be a part of a, a very strong and, and culturally uh, trusting team, but now they're in the middle of a fight. And lives are on the line, life and death on a large scale, not just treating patient, but we're talking about a pandemic that's killing thousands. So it is, there's much more of a correlation in my view, and I've been thinking about that a lot. And in talking to a lot of our doctors, a lot of our nurses and administrators, it's fascinating because they're having the same fears and anxieties and concerns that any leader of soldiers has before they go into battle as well. So there is really a coming together of our two professions in my view, and and it's really fascinating to see how, how this is all working out. I agree with you, it is fascinating. And there's one thing that, and your insight on this I think is really important. 
For me, over the last couple of weeks, it feels like there has been a almost a normalization of using terms that would be applied to soldiers going to war to healthcare providers. That this idea of healthcare provider, physician, nurse, environmental services, cafeteria teams, everybody that's involved in healthcare delivery being framed in this idea as going off to war and being a soldier. And I think that the response to that is mixed. As you do you feel like that terminology is becoming normalized? And do you feel like that is is it appropriate? First of all, yes, I do believe the the analogy is appropriate. Perhaps it's being a little bit overused and I can understand completely how there could be a percentage of people uh, in the healthcare profession saying, oh, heck no, we're not soldiers, we're medical professionals. And, and all of that is true. But when you take a look at some of the shifts that are required in a crisis, it doesn't matter what profession you're in. Uh, the shifts regarding decision making, dependence on a team, trusting one another, succinct and accurate, constant communication, information flow, uh, the ability to face your fears and overcome them, the ability to show humility and empathy, taking not requiring 100 percent of information, but but deciding when to decide uh, on things that sometimes you don't have the full information on. We're seeing all that in this crisis. And those are the kind of things that happen uh, when the military goes to war. You have a cultural and a emotional and an intellectual shift from business of, as usual to uh, crisis response. And, and I think we're seeing that across healthcare today, just in terms of who's leading the fray, who is stepping up, uh, how they are making decisions, what kind of logistic re- logistical requirements we have, how you uh, take it as a crisis as opposed to just day-to-day operations. So all of those things come to play in the kind of situation we're in. The other thing I'd say too, Mark, before I leave this topic, uh, and, and you remember this from the Twitter chat we had last night with the Journal of Hospital Medicine, uh, one of the participants mentioned that uh, they were seeing people who really performed well during normal day-to-day operations sort of losing the ones that were calm and cool and maybe weren't as energized during day-to-day operations were really stepping up and being the heroes uh, in, in the situation. You see that on the battlefield, too. Sometimes the folks who are the studs during peacetime turn out to not be as good during combat and sometimes the ones that lag back in peacetime are the ones that really step forward in, in combat. So you see those kind of analogies, too, in terms of members of the team. The way you're breaking that up makes much more sense to me now. It helps me understand it a lot better. And, I, and I'll be honest, sit with me a little bit better. The one place that I, I get a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm really curious as your perspective on this, is if there is a sense of, glorification. And the example that I'll use is there was an image that was written and and I appreciate the artist's effort and I certainly appreciate the place that it came from, but it was a depiction of the um, American flag raising on Mount Suribachi at Iwo Jima. And the Marines that were raising the flag were replaced with healthcare professionals. And like I say, I really appreciate the place that that came from. 
it did not sit well with me. It didn't, it didn't land right. And that's the kind of part of this that I just, I have a moment of pause around because it, I, I think that there's a very fine line there. Yeah, I think you could be right, Mark. Um, you know, as I think we talked about once before on one of these podcasts, I am not comfortable with the over uh, glorification of those who serve in the military. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not a good thing. And and interestingly enough, uh, those in the military who who try and stoke that kind of responses, who, who think they're special and they deserve more, I'm not very enamored with those kind of individuals either. You know, there there are heroes in every element of society. Uh, yeah, and, and by the way, we're seeing that in healthcare now, aren't we? You know, in terms of yeah. members team where the physicians and the nurses are normally at the center of, of the, the platitudes, boy, you know, the folks that work in environmental services and the security guards and the administrators who make things happen and the folks ordering supplies, it, it's all becoming pretty evident that everyone who's a member of the team is important and the doctors and nurses can't do the things that they need to do in this in this virus if the folks who clean the rooms and sweep the floors and mop uh, and sanitize aren't doing their jobs too. So it just reemphasizes that uh, the glorification of some people, uh, sometimes the society has to understand what you do and how you contribute, especially if you're part of some profession, but over glorification is never a good thing. But then it, it goes back to your original question of, is it appropriate to call this a battlefield? Yes, it is. But I think people who, who haven't experienced the battlefield know that it's not all glory. There's a lot of gore and a lot of fear and anxiousness and anxiety. So, you know, while you're glorifying someone who's raising a flag, you better be prepared to try and understand the amount of gore and, and dysfunction and disaster they've walked through to raise that flag as well. I like that you're consistent with your application of this in both places because it helps the analogy to become even more sticky and, and more applicable. And I think that it's why the article that you wrote that I want to talk about, obviously, was so resonant. So you are involved in healthcare now. You've been doing this for several years. We're in this place where everything is different and we are on a, a different type of battlefield, but we're wading into it fast and we're mobilizing and we're taking action as quickly as possible. And in that we need to leverage certain skills. We need to build new skills. You took that opportunity. You took that space to take what you have learned at the sharp edge and create this document, create this essay for physicians, for healthcare leaders to read, I want to know about the mindset when you sat down, whether it was daytime, nighttime, whatever the case to say, I have some things I need to say. They're going to be helpful. I need to write them down. What was the mindset that drove that? Well, it was the, I think you're asking, why did I write it? And you got, you got it. Yeah, <laughs> why did uh, you write this? Yeah. And, and it was, it was fascinating, Mark, because, um, I had just, I called the CEO of our healthcare company of our system. And, you know, because the leadership classes were canceled and, and, uh, we knew that was going to happen. I, I, I said, Hey, Daryl, what, if there's anything at all I can do 
please let me know because I feel like I'm an outsider as you guys are going through a crisis and I want to be uh, as helpful as I can be. So anything I said, if you want me to drive an ambulance, if you want me to, you know, hand out mask, I'll do that. But just let me do something because I'm, I'm used to being in the midst of things. Well, he thanked me very much for that. And then started, he asked me a couple of questions on email. And this was a Sunday afternoon about three or four weeks ago. And within an hour on that Sunday afternoon, I received three calls one right after another, literally within an hour, from three different people uh, who I had taught in our leadership classes. And they were just asking sort of questions about, how do I handle this? What, what do I do in this situation? But the last one I received was from one of my favorite doctors that has gone through the course of an ER physician, ED physician by the name of Elmira Mansfield. And her husband and I and, our, and my wife have become pretty close, but she just, she just, talked about some of the people on her team. She has since been promoted uh, to be a CMO of one of our hospitals. And she was talking about the anxiety she was feeling, the palpable anxiety she was feeling uh, within the, the ED suite when she went in to visit. And she said, you know, could you take some of your experiences from your time in crisis and just write them down. And, and she even kind of said, could you, could you, she said, could you give us a top 10 list? And we kind of laughed and I said, Omira, I'd do that. So literally as soon as we hung up the phone, I just started scrolling some notes. And I think I wrote this piece literally in about 15 minutes. And it was just the things that popped to my mind of lessons that I had learned in combat that, seem obvious to me, but might not be obvious to someone who's facing crisis for the first time. And I wrote them down. I sent them to her. I, I sent them to you. You kind of got the ball rolling outside of our hospital because you sent them to a few other people. And suddenly, uh, no pun intended, they went viral. And uh, I'm, I'm getting a request from a lot of people, not just in healthcare, but in those supporting healthcare, like EM, EMTs, I got one this morning from a security company saying, could we send this to our workers? And, you know, I don't care who sends it to who, but if it helps somebody, it makes me feel at least I'm contributing to countering the, the crisis that we're currently on. So that's that's the story behind the, the writing of this article. I love the fact that it took 15 minutes because when I read it for the first time, I had a feeling that was the case. I was like, this is Mark just opening a synapse in his brain and just letting letting all of it out just letting his inside out but also fueled by that need to help i know how much you want to participate you and i've had that same conversation about how can how can we all figure out how to pitch in that it came from that place with that kind of rocket fuel behind it and then you did what i love you are one of those people who you write just like you talk. So it sounded just like you. I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I would have hoped you would create. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely compelling and brilliant. That, that's kind of the, I appreciate that. But it, it's interesting. You saying that reminds me of a tip I got from one of my mentors one time when I was struggling with writing something. This mentor told me, he said, you know, quit trying to be so intellectual. Just you know, <laughs> write, write, with, write with your passion. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, find, you can read passion when somebody writes it. You can't, you know, when you see someone writing an intellectually stilted piece, you know, they're trying to impress. I just wanted to get something out there that was helpful to folks. 
there's there's ten elements to it. And as I as I like to do, I don't like to jump into a piece too specifically because I want people to read it. And obviously there's links in the show notes and I've been tweeting about it and you've been tweeting about it. The Journal of Hospital Medicine has published it. It is open source on their website. You do not have to have a subscription. You do not have to sign in. You can just click on the link and the article will populate. That being said, I do want to explore one of the things that you brought up because it really resonated for me in a couple of different ways. What is a battle buddy? Yeah, it's it's someone you can depend upon to keep you straight. I mean, when you when you hear the phrase of battle buddy, it's like, oh, this this is my the guy that I hang the guy or the gal that I hang out with and you know, we do things together. But it's much more than that. This is someone you trust with your life. They'll they'll help you when times are tough. They'll laugh with you when times are hard. They'll find the goodness in bad times. And they're just there to support you. But part of that support, and this this was the first thing that popped in my mind after talking to Dr. Mansfield, because she was saying that many of her team was ang- were, they were anxious uh, about what they thought they might face. And you can control anxiety if you have someone to talk to. And two people are always better than one, whether you're exercising or going into a crisis situation. You always give each other strength, you know, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your best friend, whether it's a brother or your hero. Um, So that has been become the one that most of the people who read the article seize on and they realize that, hey, I got to find somebody who's my support structure. But the other important thing about that battle buddy is they see you when you start losing it. And they grab you by the scruff of the neck or the collar and say, hey, you need to take a break, dude. You, you need your I can tell in your eyes that you're stressing, you're tired. So take take a half day off, take a full day off, uh, go get some sleep, go take a walk, do something. Uh, and that's as important, perhaps even more so than rapid decision making and being at the forefront and always leading the way. You know, when you're a leader, you've you've got to take a break. Uh, we find that in the army. There, there are so many people who either go on two week exercises and commanders think I can stay up the whole two weeks because I got to run my organization. And soon at about the 48 to 72 hour mark, they're they're completely dead to the world and they can't help at all. Uh, and truthfully, this is scar tissue for me, too, Mark. I mean, I. My last command as a division commander was in Iraq, and we were we knew we were going to be there for 15 months. And it was a 24, literally a 24-7 operation. And for the first month and a half, I was getting maybe three hours of sleep a night. And as a unit, we decided we can't sustain this for 15 months. So we made some changes in terms of our uh, cycle of operation, how we replaced one another to take down days, uh, how we forced rest on people that we knew was going off the deep end. And and a job of a leader is also to go around and look people in the eye to make sure that they're not losing it. And if there's any indication that they are, pull them out of the action, get them a replacement real quick and get them some rest. So that battle buddy takes on significance at so many different levels. When I read the essay, that part stood out to me more around the idea of how do we operationalize this in our place of work 
But I yeah. sent the article to my wife and I said, hey, Jess, you know, if you, when you next have a break, please read this. Mark sent it to me. I, I loved it. I'd really like to get your thoughts. And she replied back to me via text maybe 20 minutes later. I read it. It's fantastic. And then she said, I love you, battle buddy. And I'm going to get emotional <laughs> just talking about it. But yeah. it, it made me – I almost – came apart when I saw that because I, it just hadn't clicked for me because I was so focused. I was at work when I read it. I was in that place of doing things at the hospital. But when she put our relationship as husband and wife and as spouses and all of that stuff in that place of being battle buddies and that she thought of it that way was so meaningful for me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There was a great piece, by the way, I know you're a follower of, uh, of uh, Dr. Manning uh, uh, at Grady Doctor on Twitter. And she wrote Absolutely. an unbelievably uh, emotional piece last night about coming home every day from the hospital uh, and and seeing her husband, who's not in healthcare, I'm assuming, and how it's so tough during these periods of not having the normal relationship of touching and and uh, hugging and having time with the kids uh, where you're close. But she talked about how much strength she was garnering from him, even during the tough time. And I think that reinforces what you say. You, you know, you've got to have a battle buddy at home and you also have, have to have one at work and uh, they're mutually supportive. And by the way, you can have more than one too. That's a great That's thing. Actually, it's important to hear that. It's important that it, this is not just one battle buddy. I, I'm actually glad that you said that. I was going to ask you about that separately. Like, is it okay to have more than one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially, truthfully, if you're the leader of the team, yeah. you, you should make sure every person on your team has a battle buddy. But unfortunately, you're the battle buddy to everybody, too, you know, if you're the leader of the <laughs> That's team. That's a good point. One of the things that you were just saying, though, that I think is important, you, you talked about your experiences in Iraq when you had that 15-month deployment at an extraordinarily high tempo. Getting back to the beginning of our conversation, right, this analogy of what's happening now with being in, in battle, the timelines around what we're looking at with COVID-19 are lengthy, and yeah. the tempo is probably going to stay high. And I might suggest to you another place where you'll be able to help all of us is to help us understand better some of the things you said, maybe we're going to have to adjust our schedules. Maybe we're going to have to look at how we do staffing. We know that the tectonic plates of medicine and how we deliver care are shifting really quickly. We're going to need to probably accelerate that because the tempo that's happening right now, I think everyone would acknowledge is totally unsustainable. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And that is one of the things that we are, in fact, looking at our healthcare organization. And interesting, Mark, and you know this. When, whenever you're in a healthcare setting or in some organizations, whenever you have these kind of increased operational tempos, the, the, the normal fallback position is let's make the shifts longer and, and work seven days a week. And that actually yeah. is probably the worst thing you can do. Uh, so I had a discussion with the doctor who's leading our pandemic crisis response team. And I said, hey, Scott, you know, one of the things we may want to look at is how do we shorten our shifts? How, how do we ensure we have everybody getting some time off? Because the intensity of the shift is going to increase as well as the length if we allow that to happen. So it's even more critical knowing that you're dealing with increased intensity to make sure that you've scheduled uh, as part of your leadership design 
the, the kinds of shifts and the requirements we're asking people to fill. Uh, so it becomes even more important then. Uh, so we've actually looked at, or not we, he has, based on some advice I gave him, looking at having instead of double shifts a day, uh, having three shifts a day and making sure each shift gets an entire day off. Uh, it's hard. And it requires one of the other things I put in the argument uh, in the article of getting everyone else into the fight. Who is not contributing as much? And when you ask them, can they? Uh, and that not only goes for healthcare providers, but it also goes to some other folks like, oh, I don't know, chaplains, uh, people who can help you get a sense of uh, what's going on within the hospital. You know, they're normally focused on patients. You know, what we've done is redirect some of our hospital chaplains toward doing morale checks among the staff and having them report on that. So again, it's it's looking at the unusual sources within the organization that can contribute to the effectiveness of what the team's trying to do. The the importance of diversifying that workforce, as you're saying, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you, is basically figuring out different things that people who've kind of been in a silo, what they can do outside of that silo is going to be important. It gives me, I'll be totally honest with you, when I when I hear it and I'm thinking in that way, it does give me a little bit of anxiety about kind of what we're dealing with because I was a history major in college and I've enjoyed learning and studying, you know, great campaigns and world wars and the civil war and things like that. And one of the things that happens is as you outstrip your resources, you start having to do things that you wouldn't normally do. And we already see that starting to happen in healthcare with all of our healthcare professionals, right? We're graduating medical students early. We are asking people to come out of retirement. We are doing things like bringing people who wouldn't normally work in a hospital into the hospital or people who are in the hospital to do different things that they might feel out or outside of their skill set. I'm excited about the opportunity that presents, but it also, when you think about it, using that analogy of being at war, when you set it in that context, it's like, wow, we are already in this place. Yeah. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it's interesting because you, you made the comment about graduating folks early. That was one of the discussion points we had that I had with our doctors because we have a, a nursing university as part of our hospital. And I kind of made the comment out loud. Have we thought about graduating the nursing students earlier? Yeah. And looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and, and I explained to him, I said, hey, you know, during the Civil War, West Point graduated an entire class a year early. So the, the class of, eight, as you know, from our trip to Gettysburg, the class of 1861 graduated. And a week later, the head of the class of 1862 approached the superintendent and said, we need to go to war. Why don't we just graduate us now? Now, there was a hidden agenda there. The guy was very poor in his studies, so he wanted to get the hell out of that place. But he, he basically said, the nation is at risk. Let's graduate. And they did. And uh, as we stood a couple of months ago, you and I on the battle a little or the top a little round top, you round top, you remember us talking about the great Irishman, Patty O'Rourke, who graduated a year early from West Point and led led his brigade into combat uh, as a as a brand new second lieutenant. He was became a brigade commander. So, yeah, a lot is going to be asked of people and it's going to be fascinating how the recent graduates, the new residents, are going to step up and provide unbelievable action to address this problem. The key to that is 
they have memories now. They've been in a crisis and they will never go back to the norm. There's goodness in that. Uh, because once you've been in a crisis, you really understand how to lead an organization uh, through tough times and get the most out of your people. It, hearing you say that, it sort of it, it feels like people are going are, are we're in a crucible and right. we are all going to be, you know, steel is hardened and tempered in fire. And, and we're all in that place right now. And it's going to be a hardening and hardening can be good. And it can also be not good. And we have to be conscious of all of the ways that we can, we will be affected by this. Well, let, let me ask you a question on this call, if, you, if I may. Please. As I, as I recall, you're a hospitalist. Yes. What, what kind of things have you learned by volunteering to go to work during this crisis, probably being pushed beyond your normal envelope in an area that you're not all that possibly familiar with, and it's taken you out of your comfort zone. I know you've had to learn some things about yourself and some things about the medical profession that you didn't anticipate. For me, and I think for my region, we have fortunately and unfortunately been through two disasters in three years prior to the COVID-19 pandemic because we had two large wildfires in our region. And so we have gotten used to what does it feel like to shift process? What does it feel like to have disrupted schedules, displaced physicians and teammates? You know, the the real threat of of damage to home, the real threat of injury. We've we've moved through that. And so as a as a leadership team and as physicians and, and healthcare professionals, we have a little bit of experience with that. And I think that that has served us well. There's a lot of lessons learned. So when we raise up incident command at the hospital and we start communicating in that way, we're using channels that we've already used twice before. Right. Most of the people who've been here have walked through all of that. Right. As a physician, though, and as a, as a leader in my, you know, in my organization, the thing that has surprised me the most and the thing that has been heartening the most, if I'm answering your question correctly, is seeing how fast we've been able to pivot to, for lack of a better term, a wartime footing. Right. The agility and the creativity and the commitment to move this massive edifice of healthcare to entirely different platforms for the sole purpose of making sure we are delivering care to patients the best that we can, acknowledging it is imperfect, acknowledging that it's hard and costly and anxiety provoking and all of those things. No one, I would have never dreamed we would have been able to move this fast. I would have never even dreamed that we could move to telemedicine this quickly, that we could repurpose entire floors of hospitals this quickly, that we could acknowledge a huge gap with personal protective equipment and get and, and get moving to make it better this quickly, fully acknowledging we're not done yet and it has been really bumpy and frankly dangerous for some people that we're able to move this fast has, has really surprised me. Um, and I'm excited about it. I also know that we have to sustain it because we are right. We're in, we're in, we're in the prologue to a multi-chapter book. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, I think that your comment about having the preparatory work during the wildfires in California has probably at the time I remember you talking about it. It was devastating to you. I mean, it, it, your your emotional response to some of the things you were saying were off the charts uh, as you were trying to adjust the organization to address it. Well, that's it's kind of like being an athlete. 
and having an increasingly tougher workout every day to the point that you can compete at the world-class level. Well, some organizations didn't have the wildfire, so they went from zero to 60 a lot faster. Your team in California has already had the expansion of the intellect to address some of these uh, uh, requirements in an adaptable way, and so it was probably easier for you than some other organizations. But I just reinforce what you just said. What I'm seeing in the leaders at our healthcare organization is unbelievably impressive. They are knocking it out of the park on a daily basis. And the folks that are doing that are folks, truthfully, I wouldn't have expected to be able to handle some of the crisis requirements that they're handling. So again, I go back to the point of as tough as this situation is, as as laden with crisis that we see it being goodness is going to come out of this i think from from the health to the healthcare profession and to our healthcare systems rich writ large across the country because no one is going to want to go back to what we used to do after experiencing this there's going to be some some physicians and nurses and administrators who are saying why are we going back to these old ways when we we've learned that there's better ways to do this in the future? I, I think goodness is going to come of this. I think that's a very astute point. I think if I was to prognosticate most of the changes that we're making now, we will never go back. Uh, the, these are the things that were probably going to happen in some form or another over the course of my career. And they're happening in the span of you know a couple of weeks. I yeah. don't think we will ever go back. I think we will get used to it. We will lock it in. We will get good data that we're delivering care at a, at a high level of quality. And we are. it's going to continue to evolve and we'll continue to refine these systems and processes, but we're not going to go back to where we were. It'll keep, it'll keep on changing and evolving for sure. One of the things, though, on this idea of what you're hearing and seeing from the teams that you work with, we did have a really cool opportunity last night, and I'm glad that we're getting to have this conversation after that. The Journal of Hospital Medicine, as do lots of organizations, they organize these wonderful chat forums and all different platforms. This one, Journal of Hospital Medicine likes to use Twitter, and they do them once a month on a specific topic. And you got to host one last night to discuss, not to discuss the article specifically, but framed around topics pulled out of it and around these first few weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. As someone who's been in a lot of those chats, that was unprecedented response and engagement. It was incredible. I couldn't keep up. I don't think anybody could keep up with the comments. But I, I am curious to just get a sense, just from the strategic view, from that high-level view, what were some of the takeaways? What were some of the impressions and resonances from an experience like that? Well, first, I'll start off by first thanking you uh, to get the article in front of the Journal of Hospital Medicine, but also for this chat last night. I, I, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Samir Shaw and Dr. Charlie Ray, who put this thing on so quickly. You talk about adaptation. This was all done within about a three-day period, which was phenomenal. Uh, but going back to your question, um, I, the things that struck me were, first of all, I was looking at the, the photos, the avatars on Twitter as they popped up. And it appeared, and I may be wrong, but it appeared, maybe it's just because I'm old and I think everybody's young, uh, but it appeared that most of the people who were participating were younger. 
much younger than me. So you're talking about the new breed of doctors, the ones that are going to become the agents of change in the future who are learning this lesson now early on. And the second thing that, uh, that, that I took away was there seemed to be uh, an excitement and a, 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 an energy about, okay, we're in this crucible, uh, we've got to deliver, and we're going to find the right ways to do it because this is our profession and this is what we signed up to do. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. We're going to find solutions to this. Uh, so that was number two. Number three was one of the questions posed was, what are you going to take away from this that you want to ensure is institutionalized at your healthcare facility or within your profession? And there were so many people talking about the lessons they had already learned and that they were applying and the things they were doing and the things they wanted to look at doing when they had more time. I think that of getting physicians engaged as leaders of the team and understanding what they can do as part of an interprofessional team with administrators and nurses and colleagues, that that breaks down what many researchers have said is a lack of trust between doctors and administrators. And you can't perform as a high-performing team without trust. So crisis tends to imbue that trust in organizations. When you are forced to pull together with, with diverse people to solve problems, that tends to build trust, uh, as opposed to continuing with the us-they uh, syndrome of, no, you're all screwed up, no, I'm not, I'm, the, I'm doing it right, you're doing it wrong kind of approach. I think people are beginning to see that everyone contributes to this fight and you gotta work as a team to deliver healthcare to the American public and to treat your patients in the very best way. That way of framing it does the thing that I love the most about all of this and am the most excited about it. It puts it in that aspirational sense. Yeah. The American people are looking to healthcare professionals, physicians, nurses, the whole team to deliver at a level that we have probably never been asked to deliver before, certainly in our lifetimes. And that carries all of the emotions with it, but I think it is definitely something that is aspirational. And I was asked by a reporter a week or so ago about what am I seeing in the hospital? And my answer is still the same. The people that are rising up to answer that question and are aspiring to deliver, it is it is a level of consummate professionalism that is incredible to behold. I think it's important. It goes back to your question about, you know, uh, praising the military or praising healthcare workers. What's fascinating to me too is you're also going to see as a result of this a reinvigorated trust in doctors. You're already starting to see that now. I mean, you you look at CNN or MSNBC or any cable channel that you want to look at, who are the people that are that are giving the right answers and who are the people that the public is trusting during this crisis, just like a military operation, it's, you know, the soldiers step up and you can trust the soldiers as opposed to the politicians. In this particular case, it really appears to me that there's a generation of trust within the healthcare community to get this right, to do the best they possibly can. 
And, you know, that's unlike what was happening months ago when you'd ask the normal person on the street about a doctor. They might say, oh, I love my doctor, but most of them are ego driven and all they want to do is make money and all that. Well, I think people are really seeing the professionalism of healthcare providers, clinicians, doctors, nurses, technicians, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the trust is being regained by your profession just like it was regained by the military after Vietnam because of a lot of hard work and some crisis. It's nice to hear that. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's nice to hear that, that reflection. I, I, you're certainly right that the people that are going forward on TV, the Megan Rannies, the Esther Chews, Peter Hotez, Jeremy, in fact, these are our best people. They are brilliant. I've gotten to know them all virtually. I've had a couple of them on the podcast. I've been really lucky in that way over the last few years. These really are our, our, some of our best and brightest and it's wonderful to have them being out there in this forward-facing way I, I just want to kind of bring together though this idea that it's not just the doctors it's going to be everybody and by everybody it's going to be all of us and in that mindset i am grateful that you took the opportunity so quickly to be a part of this in such a meaningful way to not only write this article, but to leverage the skills that you have to communicate on different platforms, to come on Twitter and be in a chat, to write this article, to be open to it being published in a medical journal. All of these different things, I think that you are also helping to set a good example for how others can contribute in ways they might not have thought would be the right way or helpful or whatever the case. It's all helpful. It's all meaningful. And I think that you've set a really nice example of that. Well, that, that's kind of you. If if I can be at all helpful, that's that's my goal. It's you know it's that whole selfless service thing. And and having watched healthcare people in healthcare, the healthcare professionals over the last six years since I retired from the, the military, as I as I've said multiple times, physicians in my view are just like soldiers because they're dedicated to the society and uh, they have a special skill set that we that we have to put to use. And it's especially true in a crisis like this. It was just wonderful to have you back on the show. I'm so glad that you wrote that essay. I imagine that there will be more things that are just going to come racing out of Mark Hurtling's pen and get onto <laughs> paper, and we will be able to get them into a forward-facing place, and I look forward to that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for all that you're contributing and that you're helping others to also learn how they can contribute as well. It's just it's very, very special, and it's much appreciated. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.